Welcome back to Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch. Well, now we're actually hunkering down on the campaign trail. Uh, we started this podcast as a response to the pandemic uh, when we were all on uh, stay-at-home orders, and I wanted to keep the Florida politics community together uh, by doing this podcast and finding out how everyone was surviving the pandemic. Obviously, we've now entered the reopening phase of our response to the pandemic. And while things are still dicey, um, as we sit here today, Florida is becoming the epicenter of the pandemic in the United States. Um, Life is going on. And with that, it's a return to the campaign trail. Uh, We are about a week and a half removed from the end of candidate qualifying. And so now all of the races for uh, state and local office are set. And so I wanted to revamp the podcast. I kind of liked the hunkering down concept. We are still hunkering down. In fact, my wife and I are probably hunkering down more so than uh, we were a month ago uh, in the light of the, the increased case numbers. Um, so we have converted this into a more traditional podcast. Um, we're going to have a few more guests on each episode The way it's going to work is we're going to interview a candidate on the ballot in 2020. We are going to talk to one of our Florida politics uh, reporters or occasionally a reporter working in the Capitol Press Corps, but somebody that's familiar with the campaign trail. And then finally, we will talk to a uh, consultant, a political consultant uh, from a, a regular stable of political consultants that we interact with. Uh, the Steve Van Cores, uh, the Jim Rimes, the um, Anthony Pettisinis, the Steve Shales of the world, the folks that are running races on the ballot this year uh, and that are able to talk about uh, what's really going on in some of these battleground seats. This is going to be a podcast for the ultimate political junkie. We are going to be throwing out terms like SD9, and we're going to assume that you mean that you know that that means Senate District 9, etc. But with any podcast I'm involved with, we are going to go off on some tangents. And so in this first episode, we have Jason Broder, who's running in probably the top Senate state Senate race, Senate District 9. Uh, we have Scott Powers, who is our Central Florida correspondent. And he goes through a, a host of races that are on the ballot in Central Florida, um, Broder's race, but also there's some interesting house races. There's some interesting local races. He and I also talk about baseball. And then finally, we have on um, a regular to the podcast. He's probably one of our better interviews. I hate to give him that much credit, but it's Anthony Pettisini. Um, you know, he's involved. He's probably involved with more races than any other consultant in Florida, or at least has a little hand. Or he has a a, a little part of you know, maybe two or three dozen different races, even some of the the down ballot local races uh, that you may not be familiar with. And so we pick his brain about the expanded state Senate map, what's going on in some of the House races, etc. And so that'll be the format as we go forward. If you'd like to appear on hunkering down on the campaign trail, please drop me a line at Peter at Florida politics uh, dot com. If you have a candidate uh, that, um, you know, would like to get some podcast time. We're probably going to keep the interview format the same way. You'll hear some questions that I have for Jason Broder. They'll probably be the same questions that I ask 
other candidates so that we get kind of a baseline for what some of the candidates are thinking. Uh, the reporter stuff will change. That'll vary by region. And then obviously the political consultants, their opinions is going to change week to week. We'll try and drop two of these a week. And so let's get to our first guest, Jason Broder, running in Seminole County for Senate District 9. Okay, the first candidate we've asked to come back on, hunkering down, now that we're on the campaign trail, we're hunkering down on the campaign trail, which I don't even know if that's possible, but I had too much invested into the graphics to, you know, switch the entire logo, is uh, former rep uh, Jason Broder. If uh, we've joked about this before, uh, we like to Frenchify his name and call him Brodeur, as if he is from uh, Lyon. Uh, but how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. We had you on the pod, uh, one of the first guests on uh, the regular hunkering down. Um, I think we ended up doing about 75 of those. Um, so that was kind of cool. I've, we had a good one there. So I just figured I'd have you back on uh, as I as I kind of work out the bugs on what I want this pod to be. Um, so tell us about what you're running for in 2020. So in 2020, I uh, have the privilege of being able to run for state Senate in District 9, which means almost nothing to anyone because we, you know, this is going to be a, a redistricting year next year where we'll change all numbers again. So I'll tell you, for those familiar with Florida, that's all of Seminole County and then the bottom section of southwestern Volusia County that's got Orange City and Deltona and DeBerry and stuff. All right, but this is um, this is one of the, the battleground seats, right? I mean, this it's is... If you're following Florida politics on FloridaPolitics.com, you know, you know the shorthand: SD9, SD39. Those are the two right. big seats that are um, are up for grabs. The map is expanded in a couple of different ways. Obviously, with you know Heather Fitzenhagen now making a primary out of SD27, and the Republicans uh, foraying into Senate District Three and against JJR. But this is one of the two. This is one of the two marquee matchups um on there um what's going on in seminole county well we've seen a a, a large um really balance of growing up in seminole county you know for years we've always thought oh seminole county is super red well a lot of that had to do with traditional demographics which are that seminole county was very traditionally the bedroom community to downtown orlando and so for many years, including when I was growing up, my, my dad worked downtown. My mom was a school teacher in the district. Uh, but a, a lot of our neighbors, they, they worked downtown. The kids went to school in the suburbs. And it was all very red. We had a lot of uh, uh, cul-de-sacs and chalk on the sidewalk and that sort of thing. But that serves one type of family only. And we were really dependent economically on what was going on in Orange County downtown for, for a lot of livelihoods of our community. In the last 10, 15 years or so, we've done a really good job of attracting a very diverse economy. We have uh, Deloitte and Chase and we've got Verizon and they all have thousands of workers uh, uh, in their buildings. Uh, the economy has been really balanced and fantastic so that it's possible for a kid to grow up, go to a great K through 12 school, go to either Seminole State College or UCF and get a job with a Fortune 100 company without ever leaving Seminole County. 
But that requires a very diverse set of, uh, 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 of housing requirements, restaurant requirements. And so what you have now is a full diverse community. Seminole County has been called the 10th most average county in America, which means demographically, there are only nine other counties that look a lot that look more like the overall U.S. Uh, demographics than, than we do. And so if you think about how diverse America is, that's now Seminole County. You sound like you could work for the Seminole County Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like I've had to do that pitch in a welcome session before. Correct. Um, you are the Seminole County Chamber of Commerce president. Um, and so that is your, that's your day job, which almost is like, I don't even know why you'd want to give that up to go to Tallahassee. I mean, cause you do <laughs> have a great, like Seminole, I feel like Seminole and Pinellas have a lot of similarities that they're both, um, attractive bedroom communities, uh, that kind of, I don't want to say live off of, but you know, you've got Seminole to orange and you've got Pinellas to Tampa yeah. and you know, like we're definitely, I remember the columnist for the Tampa Bay Times actually called Pinellas County the nation's largest bedroom community, that you really don't have yeah. any factories or anything driving here. You just got people basically living here. Uh, and I feel like that's something that we have in common um, with Seminole County. Very much so. My dad went to Boca Ciega and all his brothers. Oh, okay. My, yeah, my grandparents lived there. So I, I spent every Thanksgiving up to the last two of them in Pinellas County. So I, I spent a fair amount of time over there. And it's true. It, um, it was very much just for many, many years ancillary to what was a larger uh, uh, kind of uh, economic base. And, and, you know, Seminole County has just with a couple additions here and there over the last 10 or 15 years has really grown that that base out where you do have some manufacturing. you got a lot of back office accounting jobs and finance, and that attracts a a, a 25 to 35 year old with a, a degree in management information science that wants to live in a townhouse in a condo that wants to a that doesn't want a four bedroom two bath house that they're going to live in for 30 years because in this new economy in this gig economy uh everything is changing and there's a really high premium put on uh young workers ability to be mobile and they'd rather just have a rental contract than they would get tied down to a, a large house and so that's that's sort sort of the demographic shift we're seeing here as well um I could tell you are a Pinellas Republican deep at heart, you know, which is where, <laughs> you know, people, they don't realize that Republicanism in Florida really uh, resurged because of, um, I think it was, is it George Kramer? I'm going to get yep. hit on this, but, it, or Bill Kramer, Bill Kramer. Ah. Um, there's the Kramer Highway down here. And then obviously Bill Young, uh, but that's where, you know, where a lot of, Pinellas Republican or uh, excuse me, Florida Republicanism came from. I remember Dennis Jones telling me about how he was one of, you know, he was in the minority and he was, you know, in the basement and, uh, <laughs> you know, but there's, I think there's something savvy to Pinellas Republicanism. I, I really do the, uh, you know, the, the, the sense of conservation and environmentalism that goes a little bit with it. It's a little bit more, I don't want to get you in trouble, but it gets you. It's a little bit more progressive uh, on yeah. some of the social issues than uh, some of the folks uh, in 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 other parts of the world. Um, and so it's a nice, like I'm a Pinellas Republican, and I'm happy for that because it's like lower taxes, and I'm going to leave you alone. You can do what you want, and uh, you know, don't litter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Perfect. Perfect. Don't let him. I can um, totally get on board with that platform. So why why is your race? You know, I don't want to. And I'm not going to have people dog their opponents, and I don't even want to get into that. But why is your race more competitive than not? Like, uh, I, I think I think it's very up? I think it's very easy to explain without having to run anybody under the bus, so to speak. Is that Really, when you come to a cycle like this, it's the end of our 10 years in these districts, and we've got folks that have been in there for a long time. We have, of the 20 Senate seats that are up, 18 of them that are filled with either um, well-funded, well-liked incumbents, or they are demographically have such a shift in registration that it doesn't make a lot of sense for those to be competitive. If you're from a district where there's a plus 10 Republican or plus 10 Democrat advantage, and you're on the other side of that, it's a really, really tough hill to overcome, and redistricting's only two years away. So why spend all your money right now if in two years you might have a better seat, so to speak, quote unquote? So that leaves the other two seats, and the other two seats are demographically 50-50. Okay. Well, then all the resources that might have gone to those other 18 seats make more sense to pour into those two. And so now you're getting a lot of help so to speak, from everybody on all sides coming into the two seats that are really able to be a toss-up. All right, so I've got some questions that I've been playing with. Like, I want to do kind of the same questions to each candidate that comes on. And what the way we're doing it is it's going to be a little bit of a candidate interview. We're going to have a consultant after this, and then we're going to have a, a reporter. So I'm going to play a couple of these. Let me see. Um, who do you count on for advice? So it's that's the easy I, that's a super easy question. So my wife uh, Christy was the former secretary of the Department of Juvenile Justice, and when I came into the legislature, um, really as a healthcare guy, and uh, you know somebody who had all been part of business, I was not an attorney by trade, and so I had never really had a ton of exposure to justice issues prior to being in the legislature. Fortunately, and so I really looked to her because not only was she involved in justice and law enforcement, she was involved with really vulnerable populations, which are ones that maybe I hadn't considered before. And so I have found that the ability for me to openly and honestly ask her legitimate, well-meaning questions that I'm just curious about in the environment when, you know, so often people are afraid to ask a question because they'll be seen as, as being one way or the other, and it, it takes a really tough turn. Um, she has been a fabulous backstop to me understanding better populations that I may not have had much exposure to and what are the resources necessary to, to provide that adequate safety net for them. And so that's then expands to everything. As I get excited about whether it's autonomous vehicles or um, some kind of new health thing that I'm doing in telemedicine, she's a great person for me to ask because she always comes at stuff from a different angle. That's a great, I, I that was so, too easy. That was too easy. I should have, <laughs> as I'm, as that was rolling off, I'm like, yeah, okay, of course he's got, he's got an ace up his sleeve on that one. Uh, <laughs> who was the first person to contribute to your campaign? Um, House or Senate? Uh, either one. Give me the the follow up is why did they donate? Like usually there's like there's always that person who's yeah. like, oh, I'll yeah, write yeah. you the. The first hundred dollars, and it's your well, buddy. This is this is crazy. This might be. I I I can't I can't remember. But in both cases, I think it was my parents. Okay. And and, and because my parents are uh, both House and Senate uh, constituents, district constituents. Um, I'm an only child. Uh, was adopted, and they've been my biggest cheerleaders. 
And so whenever I have some harebrained idea about I want to go back to grad school or I'd like to start a company or I'd like to run for office, you know, even if even if Ronald Reagan was already filed, they'd be like, go get him, champ, and write me a check. So um, I, I've got to say in both counts, it's probably my parents. That's such a, see, th th that's a good answer. Like I got a lot out of that by with a like an easy answer, your parents. But we got, you know, you're adopted and that, you know, this is just uh, that you have harebrained ideas. I mean, this is, this is good. <laughs> um, who is the best governor in Florida's modern history? The best governor in Florida's modern history. Um, I was always now I, I I'll say the caveat that um, I haven't. I haven't worked long enough or, or witnessed enough of um, Governor DeSantis yet. I believe he's in contention hotly. Uh, I really, really like Governor Bush, and, uh, and here's why. Um, Governor Bush was never afraid to go to the floor and talk to legislators about bills that were up, about what he thought, how he could make them better. He was very thoughtful, unafraid, didn't have anybody around. I get the sense that Governor DeSantis will be like that and that he there's just this love of policy that really made him an engaged leader that um, that I really I really enjoyed. I, I thought he was really, really good in that regard. You know, as I'm all right, as I'm working out my podcast with you here as my guinea pig, there's not going to be a single Republican that doesn't answer Jeb Bush. Right. I mean, because I, I mean, I don't know. I don't are we going to get any Bob Martinez fans like uh, listen, I, Bob Martinez appointed Sheriff Esslinger in Seminole County in like 1991. And he served for 30 some odd years, was the best sheriff ever. And, and, and we our current sheriff has the potential to go do that as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff for Seminole County wise for for the governors that we've had. <laughs> good. All right. Um, I'm, I'm still just playing with my questions. Um, sure. If you could amend the Florida Constitution, what would you change? <laughs> Start with pregnant pigs and go through everything else that belongs in statute. Great answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I am um, a I'm one of those guys that I just don't love playing with the Constitution just because you didn't win this session on one of your issues. And I get that that's the format and that's that's democracy and everybody's welcome to do it. I just philosophically love that the Constitution is about the framework of government. And one of the things we may need to consider in the future, because we had talked a little bit about redistricting, is, you know, the Constitution, our Florida Constitution says you can have no more than 120 House members and no more than 40 senators. And at the time, that made tons of sense. There was nobody here. We didn't have air conditioning or bug spray. And so that seemed like nobody really should be here. Uh, but as we continue to grow and do great, and we know that people are coming in droves, in this new census, we're going to find out that we're going to have, what, 600,000 people per Senate district and congressional seats will have 700,000 maybe. Yeah. We'll get to a point if people keep coming and we don't look at this where our Senate seats are going to be bigger than our congressional seats because there's a cap on how many Senate seats you can have and not a cap on how many congressional seats you can have. I don't know if we need to fix that. Maybe. But it's something to look at. Um, OK, wrapping up here. This is one of my favorite questions because there's only one right answer. Are yard signs an important part of campaigning in your district? The most. I think they're I think they're huge. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah um, it, one of the so the way one of the ways I cut my teeth in politics was I was one of those young Republicans who would just join a campaign and do the do the crazy stuff. Right. Like I knew which municipalities had the laziest code enforcement officers and where I could get away with putting signs. And so I would get kind of asked to volunteer on campaigns. And so that was fun. And one of the great strategies was that 
if candidates spent time asking folks for yard signs and you held them all until the weekend or, or this one weekend you wanted to do it and you put them all out on that Friday night, it looked like it rained or snowed that candidate's name. And that was such a bump in enthusiasm and awareness that I just, you know, for people that don't watch the news or they're not on Facebook or they don't have a Twitter account and they don't really check their mail anymore, that's really one of the only ways to guarantee somebody's going to get some awareness uh, of your name. And because there are so many different ways people take in media and news these days, unless you're on 17 platforms, that's really the lowest tech way, but most effective way to guarantee somebody sees your name before they get to the ballot. All right. So where do my uh, listeners find you? What's your Twitter handle? What's your website? This is a great question. Thank you. So my um, my my website is jasonbroder.com. That's B-R-O. D-E-U-R. And on there, you'll see I have done all these workday videos and you can get a kind of a flavor of who I am. There's some commercials already cut and stuff out there. Twitter, I'm at Jason Broder. Facebook, uh, same deal. Just search. And on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, you'll see I have a, a personal account that I I don't really check these days as often as I do the campaign one. OK, so if I'm in a if I'm in a flannel shirt, leaning on a fence, looking all senatorial, that's the that's the one. I heard you were um, I heard you were just out this weekend, I think, with some conservation folks. I was. So that's you know, I mentioned my dad worked downtown as an engineer. Well, he was an environmental engineer who built water and designed water and wastewater treatment plants. So dinnertime talk for me as a kid was always around water quality and um, water treatment designs, plants, tanks, um, you name it. And so I went out this weekend. That must have been fascinating dinners, by the way. Just having nothing like uh, uh, steak dinner and some water plant discussion. They were they were they were so not interesting to me in what any way, (laughs) shape, or form until I got an internship in college during the summer of being a day laborer building water and wastewater treatment plants. So I drove a backhoe, uh, I, I poured concrete, I cut rebar and steel, I was a rod buster. And I realized at that point, I really wanted to stay in college because that job in Florida is hot. And so um, there are three or four um, uh, water treatment plants that I was uh, on the team that, that kind of helped build. But it gave me a great appreciation for what it yeah. takes in, in community design around reclaimed versus potable. And what does that look like? And how much does it cost? And what's the infrastructure worth? And what kind do we use reverse osmosis? It's really expensive. Can we just go with a more traditional carbon exchange system? I don't know. And so when we get to these water quality issues, I've always kind of been into them. Uh, I, I served on a few of the committees, but because of my background in health, it just made more sense for me to do the health stuff. Uh, those were... I. I I, I don't I think it's I'm going to get a lot out of it, even though the dinner sounded a little boring in that. Number one, my dad still talks about this stuff all the time. And number two, the background is going to help me get up to speed very quickly on what some of the challenges are for Florida. I love that we're in the middle of the state and that we get to work on uh, high magnitude springs and the St. John's and the Wakiva and the Econ. Uh, and I think that's going to be a pretty exciting part. So, yeah. So this weekend I went out with the uh, water. Uh, soil and water conservation district folks and we put out game cameras on public lands to to get a little survey of the wildlife so we'll go back in a couple weeks and check the trail cams and see what we got there that is awesome um i appreciate you being my guinea pig today uh best luck on the campaign trail and we'll talk to you again uh closer to the election thank you very much for having me i appreciate it take care you too thank you again to jason broder for being the first guest on this revamped hunkering down on the campaign trail. 
Um, we will reach out to the Democratic nominee after the primary and get them on. There's a slew of candidates uh, in a variety of races that we will have on before then, but I didn't want you to think that we were sliding the Democrat in, in this race. Um, in the meantime, uh, we are going to have Scott Powers up next to talk a little bit more about Broder's race and then Anthony Pettisini. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Okay, so this is one of the new features of hunkering down on the campaign trail. Uh, we are blessed to have reporters uh, throughout the state, um, Naples, Jacksonville, South Florida, Tallahassee, Tampa Bay. And joining us now is our veteran correspondent. I guess he's probably, God, he's still standing. It's amazing. Uh, Scott Powers, uh, who has been with us now, I got to say, like five years. Um, and he's Four and a half? Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to have an anniversary party then. Um, he's our correspondent in Central Florida. So one of the things I want to do with the pod is bring in our reporters for some on-the-ground intel about some of these races that we're tracking. Scott, how are you? Doing great, Peter. How's everything there? You know, just uh, just trying to keep the... Uh, I'm still trying to recover from the RV trip, to be quite honest. I'm... Um, I'm still yeah. digging out from all the, you know, you basically put your house onto the RV and now you got to take your R the stuff that was in the RV back out and you got to find a place for it. So I'm doing that right now. How are you doing? Are you still, uh, are you still uh, lamenting no baseball at this point and no baseball on the foreseeable future? Oh, oh God. Yeah. I mean, um, um, it looks like they pretty much, uh, can this season i mean i don't see any honorable way out of this uh, labor mess that they've got going on particularly if it means instigating all the little changes that uh, that uh, baseball is talking about you know uh everybody knows they want to inst install the uh, designated hitter for the national league for the rest of the season if it happens what people don't realize is there's 50 other little rules they're talking about things like if a game goes into extra innings, they're going to put a runner on second base at the start of every half inning so that they can try and hurry things up that way. Um, I just don't get it. It's just as if uh, they want to, they want to play games with a game. Fine. I won't miss it if they miss it. Do you think that if they don't have a season, I mean, can they come back? It's going to be a big blow to baseball. You know, uh, you remember back in uh, uh, 94, 95, when they lost half of both of those seasons, and, and uh, a lot of fans left. A lot of fans left. The only thing that brought people back, frankly, was uh, when they started juicing the baseball, and uh, you started seeing Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire hitting 60, 70 home runs. Um, um, that's the only time that the attendance started returning, and the, the TV uh, uh, audiences started returning. And then, of course, we find out years later that that was also juiced by juice so the whole thing became a scandal at that point did you watch that documentary on espn the sosa mcguire documentary that aired a couple weeks ago 
No, I'm afraid I didn't. Uh, what did they get into? I think it's a th it's a thirty by thirty documentary uh, on the summer of McGuire and Sosa, and um, you know they it's basically you know ESPN's doing you know trying to fill the gap with no live coverage, so they did that Last Dance documentary, and then this was supposed to be the other big one that they had done uh, was a documentary on. That what was that? Was that ninety eight or was that was that ninety seven or ninety eight? That ninety eight, I think, was the big year for them. But what okay. a lot of people don't remember is that ninety six and ninety seven, uh, baseball lost a lot of its fans, and uh, it, it took Sammy and and McGuire to bring them back, um, and then uh, we we regretted it later. But uh, um, they may face that again. They take off a whole season, and you know. Other sports can say it was because of coronavirus. Baseball really can't say that. I mean, yeah, it started out as a coronavirus crisis, but then it became a labor crisis. And it became a management trying to rewrite their labor contracts in the middle of the season crisis. And, uh, um, it was, and even, it's amazing to me, even looking back at it now, uh, I follow this one newsletter that I think I've shared with you, that Kendall Baker's newsletter for Axios, and it's like, all-time hits leader, not in the Hall of Fame. All-time home run hit, hit leader, not in the Hall of Fame. All-time Cy Young Awards winner, not in the Hall of Fame. So that was really, you know, two of those three players were in that era of, you know, 98 to wherever. What a, you know, what a disaster that was. And now, I, I you know, I hate to say it, I didn't I didn't connect it the way you did it, that maybe the, the whole juicing was because of, the 94 no world series that they had to do something to save baseball. And so God forbid, uh, who knows what they'll do if, you know, if you lose this season and maybe next, what would they do in, you know, 2022 to get baseball back? Cause there's just two, you can't let it go. I mean, those are billion dollar uh, companies. I mean, you, you, you have right. to do something. And, and, and management, uh, the ownership seems as if they've got this opening to bring in all of these crazy uh, rules changes that they've been talking about for years. I mean, they're, they're all being thrown on the table right now. Um, so so that may be their answer. They can't juice the baseball any, any much more than they already have. I mean, we don't have any 60 or 70 home run hitters, but baseball right now is uh, in a home run period like it's literally never seen before. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's not it's fun more, to watch. The, like, I'm a Cardinals fan. You know, I grew up in the with the Cardinals of the '80s. Whitey Herzog. I loved the the first and thirding that they would do with Vince right. Coleman, Willie McGee, and you get guys on. I'm a Rays fan, you know now, and it's like they don't have the home run hitters. They're always, you know, they're always in one or two run games up until the last you know year. Um, but now this like all or nothing where, you know, the metrics bear out. It's better to hit a home run and strike out three other times in the game than it is to try and get you know, singles and doubles. It's a, it's a weird game to watch right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get it. You like home runs, but there's also a lot of strikeouts uh, right. in between those home runs. And all there's the, not, go ahead. All of the, all of the home run and strikeout records in major league baseball have been set in the last five years. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of, here's, here's my bad segue. Speaking of uh, home runs and strikeouts, um, it's always interesting to see where there's going to be hot races. I wanted to talk to you about you've got kind of multi-level um, this year. You've got a Senate race that's really active that you're keeping track on, mm -hmm. a couple of House races, and then I want to talk to you about a local race there. 
we had Jason Broder on at the top of the pod. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I, I don't want to be a homer here. I don't know Patricia Sigmund. She could be the best candidate in the world. I've interacted with Jason a couple times during the pandemic on these Zoom calls and panels. And, man, the guy is just so affable. Like, he is yeah. just so affable and just so, you know, quite honestly, I don't think the Republican Party would be having some of the issues that it would be having if you had those this if you had a bunch of Main Street Republicans like Brodor, I mean, uh, or Broder. Um, what do you think about that race, Senate District Nine? How's that shaping up? Well, you're right. I mean, uh, Jason Broder is is a smarter and better candidate than maybe a lot of people made him out to be in his first, uh, you know, uh, tenure in, in the House of Representatives for a few years, uh, where he took on a couple of dumb bills and sort of got those hung around his neck. Like uh, uh, like anchors, but uh, uh, he is smart and uh, he does have an awful lot of solid backing and uh, is a very, in many ways, mainstream, uh, business-oriented Republican candidate, which is perfect for Seminole County. But Seminole County ain't your father's Seminole County anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it has been fairly rapidly evolving in color from. Uh, solid red to pretty solid purple. We In the last election, we saw several near upsets along with one major upset. Uh, the year before there was a major upset when uh, Stephanie Murphy got elected to Congress there. Um, and, and I know Republicans up and down are really worried. And so that means Democrats up and down are really salivating. So a bunch of Democrats filed to run in that seat. Uh, um, couple of them had, you know, plausible uh, credentials and, and whatnot. Uh, but the Democrats really wanted somebody that they could believe in. So they recruited Patricia Sigmund. She's a uh, she's a labor and, and employment lawyer, uh, famous, probably most famous for being able to have done a TED talk on, uh, you know, being fired and, and how you prepare for that in life. Uh, but uh, she's uh, she's gotten uh Tremendous amount of uh, um, support from the party and uh, polling is really encouraging for her and the Democrats and uh, money is beginning to pour in. Uh, so assuming she gets through the Democratic primary, and I don't see why she wouldn't, uh, but I don't want to completely dismiss the others there. Uh, this is going to be a battle for, for uh, Seminole County that goes really deep. I want to ask you, uh, because we talked about it offline, and I do find it a fascinating subject that the audience maybe will like. Um, there was the endorsement from Stan Van Gundy of Patricia yeah. Stigman. And I was just like, who cares what Stan Van Gundy has to think? Like, And I, you know, you just don't know. I don't know every community. Um, but I had seen his name pop up, I think, with like a South Florida congressional, like maybe like Debbie Mercosal uh, Powell or something like that. Or she and he did some Zoom uh, there, and then he popped up again, and then there was an endorsement, and I'm just like, "Wow, this must be a game changer here." I mean, Coach Stan, what's the deal so, with Coach Stan Van Gundy? Well, you know, poor Orlando, um, you know, um, doesn't have a lot of sort of homebound uh, sports heroes. Um, there are a lot of a lot of uh, uh, sports stars have retired here. A lot of golfers live here. Uh, but they don't really get as active in the community as you might expect. Maybe Grant Hill is probably the only one I can think of 
that's really been active in the community. Uh, Stan Van Gundy, even though he went on to coach in Detroit and then came back from there, he's really never left. And and so for years and years, since the Magic fired him, since basically Dwight Howard got him fired um, from the Magic, uh, he still pops up. He's on, uh, you know, call-in sports talk shows on the radio all the time. He pops up on TV here and there. He's uh, You'll see him around town at uh, various events and whatnot. So he's got he's got sort of a, a hometown celebrity feel in Orlando that probably none of these other guys has. And uh, so when you say Stan Van Gundy, Orlandoans, uh, Central Floridians, they they perk up. You know, you know, if, I'm not sure most Central Floridians can name any other Magic coach, even the current one, but but uh, they'll they'll know Stan Van Gundy in a heartbeat. I don't know who the I remember Chuck. Uh, I remember Chuck Daly, right? Yeah. Chuck, was, and then there was it wasn't Hill. It wasn't Kevin Hill. What was his name? Uh, like short cropped hair. Um, I think he just died recently. He was that, and then uh, yeah, I I, I I don't know a lot. Um, okay, so after you get off of Senate District Nine, and I will say one of the things that people are poking there is that they say that. Some of the Republicans are putting in my ear that um, Sigmund was not able to kind of box out uh, the primary enough that, you know, that no, he's four people in there and that, yeah, she's going to get through. But, you know, in a resource finite world, that's not a good sign for her. No, you know what? Um, in fact, uh, a couple of them at least were so annoyed at the way the uh, Senate Democrats uh pushed her into that race uh, that they're basically taking uh, to heck with you. I'm going to try to win this one on my own. Um, so, uh, you know, Gerdy Remy is a uh, longtime uh, activist who's been involved in Seminole County elections and, and political causes for the Democrats for a number of years. Pretty well known, has absolutely no money base whatsoever, uh, but has done enough favors and has been around in enough campaigns that the uh, grassroots community knows her pretty well. Um, you know, Alexander Duncan up in, up in Geneva, um, he's sort of running on the uh, uh, black candidates who advocate that people should have guns to protect themselves uh, wing of, uh, of the Democratic Party right now and uh, getting some press for that. Um, um, Alexis Carter just seems to be a solid uh, uh, attorney who uh, who has uh, uh, paid some dues uh, working out with other campaigns, but uh, he's uh, he's hanging in there even though uh, he's suddenly becoming an also grant. There's a guy named Rick Ashby who uh, uh, I've seen around at any number of events. Rick does his legwork, uh, but he's got no money. He's got no uh, nobody's going to endorse him. He's got no. Uh, uh, real, real base other than uh, people who know him, I think. So, uh, out of all of that, I, I expect Sigmund is going to uh, come away with a real lion's share in the primary. I suspect, and and, uh, and it's going to be game on. Um, there's clearly a couple of state house races that have shaped up. That that Tracy Kagan, uh, Scott Plakin race. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, if you want to talk about toss up. That's got to be number one, maybe in the state, in terms of toss-up races, right? Well, yeah. Keep in mind that uh, Playcon beat her by two points in 2018, 
and it was real indicative of just how how much that uh, that area has changed. It used to be a solid, solid Republican area, not anymore. Um, the other thing is, frankly, um, women Democrats seem to be at a distinct advantage in a lot of these races, uh, and and I think Tracy's aware of that. Uh, I think uh, Joy Goff Marcel, who is uh, being re re challenged this year by uh, Bob Cortez. Uh, 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 was was helped with that, and I don't mean to belittle at all their their validity as candidates there. But uh, in 2018, I think we saw a lot of people really eager to vote uh, and, and liked what they were hearing from women Democrats, and I think that could play out this year again. Certainly in Seminole County, that's a big factor across the board. That's interesting. Um, the reason why I pulled you on, um, I'm fascinated. I, I'm thinking about doing a story like 10 local races to watch um, uh, throughout the state. I think that Seminole County Commission, that pair of races there um, is as interesting a local or shape could be as interesting uh, a pair of local races as you'll find um, throughout the state. Set the table on what's going on there. All right. Well, first of all, we have to go to the, uh, the suburb of Longwood, which is uh, uh, one of the lesser-known Seminole County cities, a decent town, uh, but uh, not nearly as big as Sanford, not nearly as well-known as Lake Mary or uh, uh, Altamont Springs. Um, it uh, uh, Three years ago, uh, they elected uh, uh, Matt Morgan and um, Ben Paris to the city council there. Um, that was a nasty, nasty election where those two knocked out a couple of incumbents. Uh, there, there was a lot of money that was going into that, um, and there was uh, there were outside players, including Scott Placon, uh, who was trying to get involved in, in trying to stop elections of Matt Morgan and uh, and Ben Paris, partly because there was fear there uh, that these two were very pro um, dog racing. Uh, Longwood's got a dog racing track, had a dog racing track. Uh, these two were in denial of that, but that became an issue. It was a huge. Huge, messy election in 2017. So three years later, all of a sudden, Morgan and Paris filed to run for the county commission uh, against incumbent Republicans again. Uh, this time, they're taking on uh, uh, Lee Constantine and Bob Delari, both of whom have been there for years and years and uh, uh, have, you know, solid uh, for Seminole County moderate records. Um, this immediately played back to a, uh, a land slash zoning slash um, uh, development proposal uh, that had been all the talk of Seminole County for a couple of years, uh, a place called River Cross, a proposal called River Cross out along the Ikamakachi River in eastern Seminole County, which was proposed by former state representative, former uh, uh, speaker designate uh, um, uh, Chris Dorworth. Uh, Chris has set himself up as a bit of a power broker in Seminole County uh, and had, according to Delari and Constantine, uh, openly said, I'm going to get you guys beat in the next election. You watch. And then lo and behold, Morgan and Paris pop up in the election. And so Delari and Constantine are convinced that this is, uh, um, this is Chris Dorworth trying to take them out. Uh, Morgan and Paris deny that. But uh, Dorworth himself doesn't quite entirely deny it. He says he's not supporting Morgan and Paris, but 
if he has to do something to get uh, Constantine and Delari out of there, he'll seriously consider it. So uh, that's going to be for the for the August 18th primary, probably leading into that really bloody campaign. And by bloody, I mean we're going to see back and forth in that campaign that drags all of those guys through some of the mud. I um, I. I love the race because it shapes up as a quintessential Florida battle, which is, you know, developer interests versus, you know, uh, conservationists. Even I mean, I, I'm not trying to put Lee Constantine in the category of preservationist, but it's definitely, you know, it's definitely that battle between whether or not we're going to pave everything over, you know, or not. Um, and then Dorworth, you know, just such a, uh, you got to, Dorworth to me is one of the, 10 or 15 most intriguing figures maybe in in the last decade of Florida politics. And so whatever you're, whatever he's doing is worth watching, even when you can't really see him doing it, which, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the, the money gets moved around to uh, the mail right. pieces and everything like that. Um, I don't know what you could say about Lee Constantine. I don't know the other folks uh, as well. I don't know what you could say about Lee Constantine that hasn't been said already. And said many, many times, right? I mean, right, right. And you know, frankly, Lee might be in a little bit stronger position. Uh, you know, he's being taken on by Ben Paris, who doesn't have quite the uh, quite the stark figure that Matt Morgan has. And Matt Morgan's a former WWE yeah. wrestling champion, world champion. The guy's like seven feet three hundred pounds, <laughs> and and uh, is in is in front of a crowd. Uh, or speaking to a small group of people, even one-on-one, -on -one, uh, a, sh a showman. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. He's um, He's got the kind of uh, um, charisma or, or um, uh, gravitas that people both literally and figuratively look up to when he talks. So um, he's going to be a really formidable figure in that uh, District One race, um, and, and Delari probably doesn't quite have the uh, the base that uh, Constantine has anyway. Constantine's been around, as you know, forty years in various capacities: state senate, state house. Uh, he was mayor uh, in Altamont Springs, I think it was for for a long time. Um, you know, so county commissioner for a long time now. So um, Constantine is is probably probably got lucky the lucky on the draw on this one uh not saying not not discounting ben paris but um that one probably leans toward the incumbent uh in district three but in district one i think uh, matt morgan is a figure to be reckoned with for for a long time and probably beyond uh, seminole county commission all right well i appreciate uh you being our guinea pig on as our first Florida politics reporter on this pod, um, your baseball insights. Follow Scott at, at Scott Fist uh, on Twitter um, and then on Florida politics. Um, Scott, I appreciate it. Uh, go get back to work covering that hell of a area you have to cover. Appreciate it. Good luck with right. you. Thanks, Thanks Ben. Okay, so that first interview went a little bit longer than I would have expected. We're going to try and keep those to about 15 minutes. I want this entire pod to be about an hour. But, you know, you get Scott and I talking about baseball, and uh, we uh, tend to go on a little bit. Um, next up is um, our first uh, part of the consultant corner. 
This is Anthony Pettacini, who we've had on all of our podcasts. He said, she said, hunkering down. Uh, as everyone knows, he and I are uh, longtime friends um, in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, we don't always get along, uh, maybe nine times out of ten. Uh, so it'll be interesting to have him on this pod and in future pods. Here is Anthony Pettacini. Okay, joining us on the first edition of the Consultants Corner aspect of the revamped hunkering down on the campaign trail is none other than, well, who else could I have on this part? Um, my blood brother, my daughter's godfather, my friend, Anthony Pettacini. I'm just How glad, you doing, buddy? I'm glad the scooter didn't kill you yesterday. Happy Isn't Father's Day. Now, the funny part was that I think you were in your robe on the scooter. I was on my robe on the scooter. I, um, I, uh, I got it and I just wanted to ride it. And somebody was just asking me, they're like, you didn't think about putting on a helmet? And I'm like, Oh <laughs> shit, I got to get a helmet. Like I don't have a bike helmet or, uh, so, but it, it, was, it actually, it goes Pender, pretty good. Pender Gruder's literally almost killed himself doing the same thing a couple of fathers days ago. That's what he said. That's what yeah. he, he texted. He's like, seriously, you need to get a helmet or whatever. I'm like, okay. How's everything been going for you? It's a little busy. It's a little busy. Yes, we're, we're getting ready. We're getting ready to be cutting time in primary, so we're all geared up for that. I mean, uh, I think COVID has afforded us the opportunity and time to be prepared more so than we've ever been for some of these races. And uh, you know, Piccolo's over there getting ready to to uh, kill it in the general. And 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 uh, on my side of the coin, we've been just getting ready to be really active in the primary. So um, you know, divide and conquer is the is the is the uh, usual. Uh, what expression of success and that's what we that's what we're doing over here at Simwins. Um so consultants corner the idea here is uh you know it's going to be the middle segment of this new revamped pod and we're going to you know I want to bring in the experts to kind of um you know basically you've got a slate of games coming up and you guys are Jimmy the Greek. Um yeah. and uh, you know I want to see where you all think candidate uh, campaigns are going as we uh go on the campaign trail. Right now, we're past qualifying, and I think we got to say the biggest development of qualifying week was Heather Fitzenhagen jumping into Senate District 27, which is Lizbeth Benequisto's seat. She's term limited. Ray Rodriguez is in there. Uh, he's endorsed by legislative leadership, Wilton Simpson, Kathleen Pasadomo. He's got Buku Bucks. Um, Fitzenhagen had been running for Congress. Um there had been rumors that she was thinking about running. All of a sudden, um, she pops up. She gives me a call. She she had normally worked for you, and so I'm going to allow you to shoot down any of the rumors that you were involved because I know that that's 100% not true. Um, what do you think when Heather Fitzenhagen showed up on the Division of Elections uh, website? Well, the world the world turned upside down. A lot of ways and i know that the way i found out was when you called me to say what's heather doing and i said what do you mean <laughs> and i called her and she said yeah and i said well you know i can't help you do this and then i spent the rest of my day calling senate president designates and um and i called ray rod even uh, listen heather's a, a good lady i think she means well i think she believes in the things she votes for um i think she was sold some type of bill of goods um on on her uh, viability in the race She's never going to have the money to to uh, beat Wilton or or Ray Rod, um, and in, in the vulnerability poll that you put out on your on your blog the other day, 
None of her vulnerabilities are there. She was the only Republican member to, to vote against and verbally speak out against the abortion bill on the floor of the House. That's not going to sit well when people learn about that. Um, I, I just feel bad. I, I know what happens when you have to run a really expensive, tough primary and everyone's uh, you know, good name is on the line on one side. They're going to spend they're going to take the brass off the walls and melt it down to make bullets. And I'm just sad for her that, that, that those bullets are going to be fired in her direction. So she popped a internal poll last night uh, that shows her up uh, 10 points by Ray Rodriguez on the salt shaker index. How much salt am I taking that poll with? Yeah, listen, I've seen polls where she was up against Ray um, when, when we were deciding back in the day what she was going to run for before the Senate side of the, the coin decided they were going to endorse Ray. When Heather still was thinking about running for the Senate when I was working for her, she was she was up every time on him. Her district is wholly contained in the Senate district. His is not. So that makes sense. The problem is when, when Jeff Atwater ran against Bob Butterworth all those years ago for Senate, he was down 40 points to Bob Butterworth, 40, four, like 38 or something. He won handily in that Senate race. Why? Because he the resources were at his disposal to beat Bob Butterworth. He had a better message and a better ground game because he had the resources to have it. Heather's not going to have the resources Ray has. So if Ray's starting 10 points back, the resources will be there for Ray to make that up and then some. All right, so talk about the conspiracy theories on this race. Some people see it as this is Gary Farmer, the Senate Democratic leader uh, incoming, that this is his handiwork. Uh, what stock do you put in that? You know, 50-50. Um, if, if I was Gary Farmer... Um, I have my hands full with keeping my people alive in general elections. Uh, JGR is on the block now. Bro Dorn seems to be doing really well. Gail Harrell's going to be fine. Like, where, where do you make your play if you're, if you're Gary Farmer? I, I don't think Heather Fitzenhagen is going to be your Waterloo and you have limited resources. Um, would, would I be surprised if there was some type of Gary Farmer uh, deal? No, but, but, you know, that's the way things go in Florida. Everyone's connected in some way to something. I love that you pronounced uh, Brodeur's name the same way I do, the French way. Yeah, uh, we don't let him try and like make it like a regular person's name, Broder. No, it's Brodeur. Brodeur. <laughs> um, well, you, with that, you're basically talking about this kind of expanded Senate map now, which is kind of interesting. Like, Wilton Simpson is not – it's, it's not only is he not taking for granted, he was not satisfied just – going after the two uh, open seats, the Senate District 9, which is Brodeur versus Patricia Sigmund in Central Florida, or um, Anna Maria Rodriguez versus uh, Javi Fernandez in Senate District 39. He's expanded his map that he wants to play in. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I mean, he, I mean, even the, even the Senate District and the panhandle is in play now. There's a, a candidate in that seat. Um, what's her name? Marva. And uh, oh, like you don't know. I look at it. You start when you start when you start expanding the field and you have a resource advantage, it makes sense. Uh, and, and back to the, the previous point, you know, if you're Gary Farmer and you don't have a resource advantage and the field, the battlefield starts to expand, you have a problem. So, you know, look, the president is not doing horribly in any of these areas. And I know people will say, oh, he's crazy. You know, there goes Trump Pedicini. But you know, the president's numbers have held pretty good through COVID, through these, through, through the protests. Um, he's not a drag on the ticket uh, in Hillsborough County, for example. 
The president's doing at least seven points better than he was four years ago. Again, we're still in July, basically, uh, so a lot can change. But um, I think they, they have a they have a pretty good plan over there. Pat Boehner's a smart cat. They've got a good team. They've got great candidates. They fielded some amazing candidates in these races. I mean, Danny Burgess is quite possibly, um, you know, what a pick Danny was, what a pick Ileana was, what a pick Barbara was. I mean, you start looking at these people and you're like, these are real people who can beat incumbents. And that's going to be the that's going to make a difference come November. See, now you uh, would not be good in a long con movie because you just said how good of a pick Marva is. And yet you, for um, a couple minutes earlier, you pretended like you, uh, you, it was a surprise. Um, all right. So are you, are you playing around in house races of interest? Where do you, where, where, I know you are Mr. Primary guy. Where is, where are the interesting primaries that we should be keeping an eye on right now? You know, I think the primaries have been uh, extremely sleepy. I think there's some really good candidates out there that are going to surprise some people. Um, I know that, that most of our friends in the, the lobbyist industry and the special uh, industry groups are starting to look at these primaries real close and make some decisions. Um, you know, there's there's some good primaries out there in the panhandle. There's a there's an interesting four-way primary. We have Jeff Hinkle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's Can we talk about this one? Because I was just up there. Okay. And I want to – I got to get your pushback on this one. So you've got Hinkle is what you said, right? Okay. And then there's Talman. There's Talman and Maney. And then a lady named Sandra. All right. It's Maney. Like, isn't this, isn't he the general or something like that? Like somebody just, we were just up there and they were like, there's no way this guy can lose. He's the retired general from that base or something like that. And that he was. He wasn't the general from the base. He's a judge for 30 years in, in Okaloosa County. He was a uh, Marine general before that who took uh, took a, uh, some ordinance, I think, to, to his person. Um, you know, the reason I took this race is because everybody, you know, listen, the guy's a hero. There's no doubt about it. Right. The reason I took the race is because everybody told me there was no way you could beat Pat Maney. Pat Maney is a sure thing. And you know better than anybody, Peter, if somebody would say something's a sure thing in this, this business, they're, they're absolutely lying through their teeth. And that tells me that there's something wrong uh, there that, that we need to look at more closely. And I think you're going to find that voters in that county uh, learn about that sooner rather than later. <laughs> so House District, that's what, four? Is that what that one is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give me one. Give me an Alex Andrade sticking in the panhandle in, 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 in Pensacola has a primary as an incumbent. Uh, Randy Fine over in Palm Bay has a, uh, has a primary as an incumbent. He's going to be fine. Andrade's is, is going to be fine. I think they just have to work through it and go through the motions. I Do you think know anything about that open – there's an open seat in – is it 22? Not sure. I don't think it – it's like in the middle of the uh, state. Like 22, I think there's like a three-way. Yeah, no, it's a two-way. It's a two -way. Brett Doster's cousin versus some p preacher. Is that what it is? Oh, it's yeah. Brett Doster's cousin. Okay. I don't know anything about that race other than they've raised basically the same amount of money and they've all right. done the same amount of stuff. And it looks like it's going to be a melee. I can't wait to see how that plays out. Okay, so now it's Doster's cousin. Well, that means I can probably hit him up for extra advertising money. Um, <laughs> um, okay, um, give me one other house race to keep an eye on, a house primary for folks to keep an um, eye on. What's going to be lit? I think you're going to start to see um, – you know, I, I want to say a number, and then I'm going to think, like, oh, FMA is going to come in and just carpet bomb someplace, or, or the realtors are going to come in and carpet bomb someplace. I think it's that kind of uh, atmosphere this year that 
Um, there's so little money that's been raised in a lot of these races that yeah, industry group would come in and say, okay, we like Peter. And then all of a sudden you go from 5% to 50% and you're the member. Yeah, but, I've been trying to tell people that um, institutional donors are more important than ever. I mean, I know it's there. I know that's easy to say, but the only people that have money right now are right. the big donors. That's right. Either the leadership or the big donors. And, you know, leadership is going to save their money here for the general because that's where the fight's going to be for them. Right. Wilden's going to need every dime. And that's that's kind of the rub with Fitz and Hagen going back to the beginning of the podcast. She's going to cost the Senate money that they don't need to spend. And and so but they're going to spend it to make a point now. Um, but the House is in the same is in the same situation. They got a bunch of generals um, and they're not going to be easy generals. They're all winnable, but they're going to cost a lot of money. Speaking of which, I'll close out with this. I heard Danny Perez has got a primary and yeah. that the conspiracy theory down in South Florida, we'll probably have to have our good friend Steve Marin on in the next pod, is that somehow that is an Oliva move against his, you know, his nemesis Perez. I know you're not going to confess to it. No, I, I don't think they're nemesis at all. I, I don't think that. Um, is it nemesis or nemesi or what, what is it? What is a multiple? Whatever the Latin is, but I, I don't think if I'm if I'm Jose Oliva, I'm going to take my money. I, I had I had two great years as the leader of Florida. I'm going home, and uh, I, I think I think there are just crazy people out there who want to primary good Republicans. I mean, we've seen it. Alex Andrade's got a primary. He's a good Republican. Um, uh, Randy Fine has got a primary from a crazy woman that is going to lose ninety to ten. It's going to be like the Saddam Hussein of Florida, of Florida politics. Uh, it, it, I, these people come out of nowhere. God bless them. They're, it's America. They can run anywhere they want. I you don't think, but I don't think there's a conspiracy against Danny Perez. You didn't say. Uh, speaking of which, when you're talking about those panhandle races, you didn't say anything about Salzman versus Hill, and that worries me. Obviously, I don't like Mike Hill, um, but some folks told me that people pulled over there and they just say that Mike Hill is just tugging too deep, that he's just too hard to beat over there. Oh no, how you beat Mike Hill? I, What's that? I, I couldn't write the plan to beat Mike Hill. I'd be yeah. hard pressed. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being the first consultant on the uh, appropriately named Consultants Corner. We'll have you back to handicap uh, as we move along. What do we got? I think we've got 66 days until the convention. Um, how many days until the primary? Seven, I think. 57? Roughly. 56, so, 57. Well, so when does – all right, so ballots go out in – My first. Wow. Okay. All right. Thanks, Anthony, for coming on today. Buddy, talk to you later. Okay. Thank you for listening to this first edition of the revamped hunkering down on the campaign trail with Peter Schorsch. We will come up with an anacronym that makes that a lot shorter. Um, we will have some new guests on. Hopefully it's not all white dudes in the, uh, upcoming pods but thank you for listening and if you um, want to follow along i'm at peter Schorsch, s-c-h-o-r-s-c-h-f-l on twitter and you can always check out um what i'm writing about at floridapolitics.com thank you for listening <laughs>